Hello there and welcome to today's episode of Everyone Has a Story, the podcast that complements our quarterly lifestyle magazines, Hello Sunshine and In Noosa magazine. Uh, winter issues of both of those magazines are on the streets of the Sunshine Coast and across Noosa as we speak. And if you would like your brand or your business to be part of these two exciting publications, reach out to our client service managers. You can contact us via our social media platforms, Hello Sunshine and In Noosa magazine uh, on both uh, Facebook and Instagram. Today's guest on this episode of Everyone Has a Story has been the principal of Sunshine Coast Grammar for many years. As a parent, I really enjoyed this chat. We talk about the impact of social media on kids. We talk about online bullying, why a cookie cutter approach to teaching is not an option for students at Sunshine Coast Grammar. And we discuss how the school is helping raise kids today that will turn into the positive community leaders of tomorrow. Everyone has a story. And today I'd like you to meet Maria Woods. I start the episode by asking Maria why she became an educator. Uh, I think it stemmed from um, a desire to work with people. Um, I'm very people oriented. Um, it's the variety and um, in the things that happen in schools. Schools are very busy, full places. Um, I really liked helping people and it's what I did at school. I was always the, the kid who sat next to other kids to help them um, along. I was always volunteering um, to help other children. Um, I was the one, you know, when you, when even from as a little girl where, you know, when you play games, I, I'll set up a classroom and you're all, I'll be the teacher. Um, so I think um, that's where it stemmed from was absolutely a, a desire to, um, yeah, to help others. Possibly, maybe, uh, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I would say that anyone in education is a control freak. I like to be in charge of, of uh, my classroom. And um, and so I think that's where it started. And I also did work experience as a, a teenager um, in schools and, um, and thought, yeah, this is something I could do, working with people. And there's so much on the go all the time in schools. I like to be busy. So it was a natural fit. Yeah, you always wanted to be a teacher. Where, where did you grow up, Maria? Yeah. Um, well, actually, um, I'm a born and bred in Papua New Guinea, and um, so I lived between the two countries until probably I was about 14 or 15, and my parents settled permanently then in Australia. But I went to international schools in PNG, um, and then schools in Australia as well. And what did your parents do? Uh, were they educators? Were they teachers in the education uh, system? No, they weren't, actually. They were in the health industry. My father was a general practitioner. He was a doctor. And my my mum um, was a midwife um, in, in a hospital in PNG. I guess they were encouraging of your choice, a career choice, wanting to get into the education yes, system. Yes, absolutely, very much so. I think they would have liked me to have gone into the health industry, given that that's their background. But John, I'm um, I don't like the sight of blood. Neither do I. I can't even take a blood test. Um, what changes, Maria? What changes have you seen? in education since you've, you've been involved in the education sector? I think it's um, what I've seen an increase in is the, um, the importance of community um, between schools and families. Um, when you look at, um, particularly I think on the back of what happened last year and the breakdown in, in social structures and connections to others, schools have played a really important role in, in connection. Um, and when you look at, you know, just you know, I think that besides from the global pandemic of, of COVID, you know, the other global pandemic is in mental health. Um, and 
you know, the importance of connection um, to others um, in building resilience and building hope. And that's what schools actually do very well. Um, so I think that schools have, have had to play, particularly over the last couple of decades, a much greater role in supporting parents in raising young people. Um, because certainly when I was a kid or when you were when you were little, you didn't have, you know, the the um, the prevalence of, of social media and, and technology in their lives. It pervades all aspects of their lives. Um, and in navigating that and trying to raise really good people who are ethical and responsible and make you know good decisions um, in terms of who they are as their value set, that's schools have actually had to partner more and more with families, with society in general, um, so that we are raising good people. Um, because we never had to navigate any of that when we were children. You bring up a really good point. And more and more, I've got an 11-year-old. And the more you talk to other parents and as those kids get older, can we just talk a little bit about the impact of social media, a good, bad or indifferent, and how schools yes. go about, um, I guess, making policy around uh, the social media policy for a particular school, the impact, online bullying and all that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges and how you've overcome that with, with your school and what you've experienced, Maria? Yes, yeah, certainly, John. I think, though, as, uh, for educators, you know, we have the best job in the world. We get to work with young people and play a role in moulding who they become as, as adults. You know, that's that's um, it's a great privilege and it's an honour to do that. And I think with social with social media and the use of technology, it's here to stay and it's 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 pervasive. It's you know, we talk about its its 3D presence in our lives. It's continually changing. Um, it's everywhere, and it's and the rate of change as well. So they're very important skills for life in building young people. So technology absolutely has an important role to play in who they are going to be in the kind of world of work that young people are going to have into the future. Um, so you actually, it's important to build all of those sorts of technical competencies and skill sets so that they can manage um, technology in a very positive way. And because there are so many good things that, that um, you know, social media and technology plays in, in all of our lives, professionally and personally, it, it's, um, I think the difficulty is, you know, they, we talk about um, these generations being digital natives and they're not. They're actually still growing. They're, you know, the, the brain development, the ability to make good decisions you can't put that hand in hand with saying because they're comfortable to trial things in this space with technology, that makes them good users of it. Um, they actually have to have the skills and they need the value sets about how you respond to people in real life is actually what you should be doing in your online space because your digital footprint is with you for life. Um, so it's about teaching those sorts of skills and partnering with families as well. You can't have a hands-off approach to this because as we say to all children, no good decisions, John, for young people is made after 11 o'clock at night in the comfort of your own bedroom, you know, um, when the doors are closed and the lights are out and, you know, th that you're just not able to process things, you know, that you do need to have some space between stimulus and response. Um, so we do have, um, I guess, very stringent, all schools would, um, very clear policies about how we treat each other in the online space because of the prevalence of cyberbullying um, and that it, it, because it happens, you know, under the cover of darkness, somehow I'm protected. You won't find out who I am. And there's a lot of research happening now around the, the, the neurobiology of cyberbullying. What is it actually doing to young people? 
um, how are your how is your brain being wired now because your um, it's pervasive in terms of how young people are using technology. Can you tell me um, what? So if, yeah, can you tell me what you've witnessed because you've been in, in the education sector for so long, and how you've uh, seen or if you've seen a change a change psychologically in kids now compared to say a decade ago, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago. What, what what's it doing psychologically for kids? I think it is um, we're seeing a greater prevalence in, in terms of anxiety for young people, you know, that you don't actually, when you and I went to school, you got a break, you know, you actually, at the end of the school day, you could go home and you wouldn't have to see them for, you know, for a weekend or for the school holidays. Now it's 24-7. And so for, for young people who are experiencing cyberbullying, they're never getting away from the bully. Um, and what then is that doing to them, you know, in wanting to be at school? What's it doing for self-confidence? So it's really about, you know, education plays a great role then in, in um, who you are, who you're becoming as a person. Your digital footprint actually tells us quite a lot about who you are. So we're saying you can say all of these things and you can do all of these things where others can see it, but it's what we don't see that actually also speaks volumes about your character. Um, I think also to, you know, um, empathy um, as well, you know, so that um, that students are actually, because you can you can be a keyboard warrior, you're not actually seeing what's happening at the other end. So, you know, just to, you need to continue to build empathy skills in, um, in children and I think in adults as well, you know. Um, um, so it's, it's so that they can understand that that's actually having a, um, a huge impact. What you say, words are weapons. Um, you know, and so when you, you say these things, you, you don't, you, you know, once upon a time it would have been in a playground, so you would, have, you would have seen the response. Whereas now, of course, you can just continue to do something without actually um, acknowledging that it's, that it's having such a, a detrimental impact on somebody else. You mentioned before, let's go back to last year with uh, we had a, a short five, six week lockdown here on the Sunshine Coast. Yes. Um, and, and that sense of community. What was some of the feedback yes. you heard from parents when they sent their, calls, uh, their kids back for the first time? Because well, had, we had to, uh, you know, was it chat? What, what did you hear as feedback? Yes. Oh, look, it was it was actually so joyous. It was, you know, because we we zoomed with um, you know our students, and um, I communicated with parents every day um, about what was happening um, in, in the school, so that they still had a sense of connection to us. Um, also, too, to give them confidence that you know that we we've got this. Yes, none of us have been in this situation before, but we've got this um, because you know um, your children are our number one priority, and and their um, psychological safety, um, their physical well-being is really important to us. But the first day back at school, we had music going, we had big billboards saying, welcome back, glad to see you, happy to see you. Um, it was actually, it was actually, um, John, very emotional. You know, um, there were quite a lot of tears um, as well, you know, because schools are used to um, being filled with, you know, hundreds, thousands of people every day. Um, and when you walk through schools and it's, yes, we were online um, with students, but it's not the same. Um, you know, they were, it, the soul of schools are mm. people. Um, so it was very emotional, um, I have to say, but really joyous at the same time to see everybody back. Do you think it was challenging for seniors, like year 12 students that were kind of navigating uh, 2020? Look, I, I, and I think because year 12 is such a big year, it's, you know, it's the culmination of years and years of hard work um, and it builds to something as well. So there's an expectation 
of, you know, rites of passage that were, um, you know, where you, you feel there was a great sense of disappointment and loss um, as well, that, you know, because you never have these kinds of experiences again in your life. Um, so for us, I think that we were really focused on how do we still try to maintain some of that for them? Um, you know, yes, there was a stop and start in terms of assessment. Um, you know, for us, we navigated that quite successfully, um, but it was the bigger things as well. You know, the complete picture is academia as well as everything else we provide for them. You know, so we, for us, John, it was we pushed everything back to the, you know, to the last possible moment in the school year. So we still had our beautiful rites of passage. We still had the formal, um, you know, we still had our big walk of honour to honour all of them, um, you know, so there was still all of those sorts of things because we were really conscious that it was it was a year um, of loss and disappointment and loss in so many ways as well, you know, because people lost loved ones and um, a loss of an opportunity to engage with others. So we, re we really focused on that, as did a lot of other schools. How many students saw up, Maria, and, and from what class to what class at Sunshine Coast Grammar? Yes, we've got 1,300 students um, from prep to year 12. We've also got grammar early learning. So we have little tiny people as well, so babies, uh, through to kindy. Um, so we do the whole spectrum. What's the point of difference, Sunshine Coast Grammar compared to other schools on the coast, both private and public? What is Sunshine Coast Grammar renowned for? Uh, we are renowned for our sense of community, absolutely. Um, that um, you, the children who come here are seen, are known, are valued, are heard, are loved. Um, and that we will, um, as, as we demonstrated last year, um, because we set we set that as the foundation of who we are and what we're about. We, we believe we navigated um, a, um, an interesting time in the history of, of the world. Uh, we believe we did navigate that very successfully so that um, because all of the things I've spoken about underpins who we are um, so that we can get outstanding academic results, that our students can be involved in such a plethora of, of opportunities, but ultimately that they grow up to be really decent human beings who will contribute um, on, a, on a bigger scale and make a difference in the world and make a difference and an impact that actually is for the better. When you, uh, when you become an adult and you're, you're in a, a work environment, you might be in middle management or upper management, there's a lot of emphasis on the way you interact and manage adults. And they talk a lot about these yes. four quadrants in the way people learn and absorb information, analytical, practical, um, um, uh, rela relational and experimental. Relational. And... The thing is, there's a lot of emphasis there as an adult. Um, you know, some people are tactile and conscientious. But when it comes to kids, and I'm only talking from, my, from what I observe with my 11-year-old, it seems like a bit of a cookie-cutter approach. Well, what's the approach to educating kids? Why isn't there more of that emphasis into breaking that classroom up into, okay, well, these are tactile kids, these, these are practical kids, these are conscientious kids. Does that happen at Sunshine Coast Grammar? Look, I absolutely, and I think it happens everywhere, John. I think it's, you know, when you, um, and for parents who are not in classrooms to see that, you know, just how teachers um, spend so much time planning incredible lessons that actually focus on how do we personalise learning for our students? How do we ensure that there's engagement by our students? Let's take into account prior knowledge. What do we know about the learners who are coming into our classrooms before that? Um, what are their passions and interests? You know, so student voice is actually something that has been amplified, I think, in education um, over, you know, um, potentially, particularly, I think, over the last decade. 
where we're actually paying more attention to something education is not something that is done to you um you know it's actually something that you you live and experience um because what we all want in in for all of us is that we're all lifelong learners and that's something that we as adults as parents as educators we need to be modeling that ourselves that we are all always learning otherwise we're actually saying well yes we just put us in a box and you've been at school and now you, this is what you do for a living and so that's a cookie cutter approach it's a that's a factory line assembly approach as opposed to no this is you know we actually we know our students uh, um, and we take the time to get to know them so that we can personalize learning so that they are engaged in that so that they actually have a chance to contribute to that because we want students to be the teachers as well you know the days of um you know the um the the, the sage on the stage um which is where the teacher was at the front and in charge yes you still want very orderly classrooms and you want um you know good discipline so that everybody has the right to learn um, but the students take a much bigger role and are, are much more central in how learning occurs. Maria, the school has been at the centre of two incidences that the Sunshine Coast Daily reported, and they labelled it as a scandal. Without going into the incidences, I want to find out from you how challenging it was in, in rebuilding confidence, if, if that was the case, and trust again for parents that have children at the school and uh, rebuilding that trust in the kids that attend the school. Uh, what was and is your strategy for dealing with something like that? John, everything comes back to communication. You, um, if, you, if there are holes in your communication, that's where people will create their own, they'll, they'll fill in the gaps themselves. Um, and if you actually have been building and your, your vision and mission is much more than what's on a wall, it's actually you walk and talk it. People have faith and a loyalty and a belief in what you're doing. Um, I, I'm very upfront. What you see is what you get. And I think that um, in maintaining um, that continued belief and loyalty and support for the school, you tackle the hard issues head on. You don't actually sweep things under the carpet. You communicate with families to say, when serious things happen, we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that there will be, um, you know, that, that we'll have a range of emotions that people will be concerned about their own children. And what we never do here is we don't, we never say, um, you don't turn a blind eye to things. You, as I said, you don't sweep anything under the carpet. You actually, you communicate with your families. Um, our value set underpins who we are. So that if we say that these things are important um, in terms of who we are as a community and as a school, that we actually will live by them. So for us, it wasn't a sense of um, that we've lost any loyalty or um, there wasn't a belief in what we were doing. We actually said, right, um, as, a, as a school, this is our stance um, and we're going, to, we're going to be very open and honest as much as we can be um, and we're going to tackle it. Would that have been one of the most challenging uh, parts of your career as an educator in, since you started in the sector? Look, I, I think there are, you know, when you're dealing with people, you know, so in my organisation, I've got 1,300 students, I've got over 250 staff, 750 plus families. We, we are part of a community, part of a region. There are lots of things that go on for families, um, you know, and our role is to walk alongside people and support and care for for students. You know, we've, you know, um, we deal with everything because we're, we're a microcosm of life um, and, you know, so many challenges, you know, dealing with the pandemic, we're, we're, 
Um, you know, we had people who lost loved ones, you know, members of family um, last year, you know, where, you know, people are diagnosed with incurable diseases and, you know, and, and you lose people too young, um, you know, so you deal with the whole gamut of experiences in life. Um, and that's, you know, that's a great privilege to be able to support and care for people. I mentioned at the start, Maria, that you've been the principal of Sunshine Coast Grammar since 2012 and wish you many more years of uh, yes. or at the helm there. When people look back on your, you. on your tenure, when, if and when you decide to retire, uh, what would you like to be remembered for? That's a long way away, John. No, I'm of still course. very young and vibrant. No, you. of course. But I, I'm, I'm, you know, people start thinking about what they want to leave behind. Um, what, what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, like for? a legacy. Like a legacy. As, as, at, like a legacy. At the helm of the school, what would you like to be remembered yes. for? I would I would like people to think that my contribution has always been um, that what I say is what I do is um, that this school has continued to go from strength to strength that people are here because we walk the talk um, that everybody is is aligned um, because schools are much more than fancy buildings and um, and programs it's actually about the kind of people that that you um, that you're growing um, and I'd like to think that that um, that's exactly what we've been doing is that the people who who will go from this school into into the world are you know magnificent human beings um, who will you know want who want to see a better future um, you know so I, I would hope that but also though too John I would hope that people would say would say that at this school, we're actually part of the Sunshine Coast community. We're part of this region um, and that we have a role to play, not just in this school, but in um, in supporting and being part of the, the, the growth and the sustainability and the viability of, of what is one of the best places on earth to live. That's for sure. Can you tell me, elaborate a little bit more on that? How, like, What do the students do? How do they get involved in the Sunshine Coast community? Uh, so we have an amazing um, signature program called Grammar Helping Hands, um, and that's been running, I think, for about um, 11 years now. Um, and so we partner with other organisations like Bloom Hills, um, who put us in touch with um, various um, individuals or organisations who, who need um, some support and are facing some challenges. Um, so every term our students are involved in, um, and prior to COVID we were doing this every term, so, you know, we've, we've worked with Writing for the Disabled out at Veriadale, um, you know, so it's very much, I, I would, um, the, the template of it is, um, it's very much tailored to who needs assistance and support, um, but also to, it's a bit like the Backyard Blitz, you know, you know so people can, um, we encourage um, all of our students um, and we make sure that we offer a range of, of opportunities so that our youngest preppies can be involved as well as our year 12. So, you know, we will do beach cleanups. We will go and, you know, we've worked down at the surf clubs, um, you know, when they've needed a facelift um, for something. So it's actually about service above self. It's about you're in a, you, you know, you're in a unique situation where you can give your time and your skills um, and your expertise to supporting other organisations and you do it. Um, because it's the right thing to do. You do it because it actually makes a difference to other communities that you are a part of here on the re in this region. So, you know, we partner with the Shack, for example, at Nambour. 
Um, you know, we do our own drives here. Our staff are magnificent, John. We run a community cook-up kitchen where staff give of their time. Um, you know, and we fill our freezers and those meals go home to families in need, um, you know, and, and we don't ask for anything in return because, as you know, the, the more you give, the more you receive. Sunshine Coast Principal Maria Woods was my guest on today's episode of Everyone Has a Story. And if you enjoyed the pod or you think there might be somebody that uh, can relate to this particular episode of the podcast, uh, feel free to share it about on your social media networks. And if you're listening to uh, our podcast uh, via Apple, Stitcher or Wooshka, uh, feel free to rate and review the podcast. We'd very much appreciate it. Until next time, take care.